Hi, I'm Rebecca Pete, And I'm Rebecca Cochran. And, and welcome, welcome to Woven, where we strive to be Christians living in the world with intention. And our prayer is that, to paraphrase Mary Zimmer, the Christ who knew Mary and Martha would show us the way of balance. Thanks, Thanks for listening. Welcome to our stewardship series. Today we are on location, first woven field trip to White Oak Pastures down in Bluffton, Georgia. And we are so excited to be sitting with Will Harris. Will, thank you for being with here and uh, being here and sharing your time with us. Um, would you like to introduce yourself briefly to our listeners? I'll be happy to. Uh, I'm Will Harris, and this is my farm, White Oak Pastures. Uh, this farm has been in my family for over 150 years. And we're very proud of the fact that the uh, sixth generation was born here last year. Uh, Today, I run the farm along with uh, two of my daughters and their spouses and 150 other wonderful people. And uh, today, we pasture, raise cows, hogs, sheep, goats, rabbits, Mm -hmm. and pan butcher them on the farm. We pasture-raise chickens, turkeys, geese, guineas, and ducks, and then butcher them here on the farm. We raise certified organic vegetables and pastured eggs. And there's a bunch of other little bitty ancillary businesses here that would never make it on their own but go to support the organism that we call white oak pastures. Yeah, and um, as we're going into the series on stewardship, we've been thinking a lot about things that we steward just yeah. naturally without even thinking about it. A huge one we all do daily is what we eat. Yeah. Um, and the reason we wanted to talk to Will today was because he is such a good example of being a good steward of his land, his animals, and really being thoughtful about mm-hmm. the way he is raising them. So, um, Will, could you take us back... So this wasn't always a pasture-raised operation, correct? Correct. One of the things that I enjoy most is is the way the farm has come full circle in the 150 years we've had. My great-grandfather came here right after the Civil War. And the way he would have farmed this land and and the way my grandfather farmed it after Mm -hmm. him was on a model that was very focused on the land and the animals in the local community. Because that's the way people live in the late 1800s, early 1900s. My father uh, took over the farm post-World War II. And that's when sweeping changes were made. uh, When I talk about it, I say we industrialized, centralized, and commoditized. Mm -hmm. Sweeping changes. We'll talk more about that later. And now... Uh, my daughters and I are bringing it back to the farm more like my great-grandfather and grandfather did with a uh, big uh, high-focus on uh, animal welfare and regenerative land practices in the local economy. So for our listener who's listening and maybe doesn't know a whole lot about the food system in general, could you describe a little bit of what a conventional cattle raising or chicken raising operation would look like? compared to what you do here? Sure. First of all, it has little to do with the size of the operation. That's where people's minds seem to go first. Yeah. But it's not about the size. Uh, It's about uh, the focus. Mm -hmm. Uh, Generally, an industrial farm of any sort, a factory farm, Mm -hmm. would be a monoculture. Okay. Uh, Even if there are more than one species on the farm, they would be kept separate. 
Yeah. So you're saying they're not working in like a symbiotic relationship. They're working on their own. Good, great just, work. Yeah. Just cows. Not, just chickens. Exactly. Yeah. They okay. yeah. and they're not living in symbiotic relationships with each other the way nature intended. You right. know, I, I say nature abhors a monoculture. Yes. Nature won't permit a monoculture. Right. And the only way in industrial farming we maintain the integrity of a monoculture is through using tools like... Uh, prophylactic antibiotics and pesticides and GMOs. Mm-hmm. And Which are genetically modified organisms. And, and, and uh, uh, unnatural feeding practices, mm-hmm. etc. So, uh, uh, typically, they will, in a livestock operation, will be a confinement operation. Uh, that means the animals are uh, confined for the sake of efficiency for the farmer, mm-hmm. but it doesn't allow the animal to uh, engage in instinctive behavior. To be an animal, basically. To be an animal. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, uh, typically a great reliance on the tools that reductionist science has given. I, I just mentioned that. Hormone implants, uh-huh. so therapeutic antibiotics, and natural feedstuffs, dot, dot, dot. Typically, they would be uh, because of the confinement aspect, uh, a small number of people can control a tremendous amount of animals with a very uh, small uh, land allocation. Okay. In most animal operations, the most expensive component is the land mm-hmm. and the labor. Yeah. And industrial farming is doing a great job making it efficient in terms of using land and labor. A great cost and unintended consequences. Yeah, right. and I was going to say, I mean, that's why it didn't start with people saying, "Let's treat our animals like crap and destroy our land." Nobody set out to do that. No, no. the the industrialization, commoditization, centralization that we mentioned was those movements were implemented for very noble reasons. Mm-hmm. It was post World War Two; people were starving in Europe. Yeah, uh, it allowed. Uh, food to become uh, cheap mm-hmm. and abundant. Yeah. There was not a single new housing start in Bluffton from 1972 until 2016. Wow. Almost half a century of uh, a town, an incorporated city east of the Mississippi with no new housing starts. Mm-hmm. During that era, a lot of houses rotted down or torn yeah. down. Mm-hmm. Not a single new housing start. In 2016, two of our uh, directors of White Oak Pastures, two of the five people that run this business, this farm, built really nice new houses here. And we're about to build six two-bedroom duplexes that are going to be very nice, period, with big porches for employees. And we've uh, remodeled about 10 houses in and around Bluffton, yeah. employees, and we're actually going through a little resurrection here. Yeah. We've uh, turned one of an old closed church and our administrative offices. Uh, my office is the old one-room courthouse, mm-hmm. and uh, we have a general store. So it sounds like as you've made this effort to restore a, a portion of our food system, um, you have restored a community alongside it. That has been a uh, a positive, unintended consequence. Yeah, <clears throat> we never set out to 
uh, uh, rebuild the town. Mm-hmm. And we set out to improve the land mm-hmm. and the uh, method that we raised our animals and the uh, working conditions of our employees. Yeah. And the, uh, you know, it's, usually unintended consequences are not positive, as we discussed before. But right, in this case, right. it was. In this yeah. case, we wound up bringing a large number of really passionate, educated uh, young people here mm-hmm. that, that are bringing life back to this little town. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about your personal journey? Because y'all were, um, y'all were a conventional um, producer for years, since after World War II um, of cattle. And then you sort of had a kind of a heart journey back into this more sustainable way. Can you talk a little bit about that, how that was for you personally? Mm-hmm. So I said my father industrialized the farm, and he did. He started it. That's what happened post-World War II. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, we never talked about it. I don't know whether he wanted to or not. But he certainly had to because yeah. that's the way farming evolved. Right. Yeah. If he was going to continue to farm yeah. in an economically viable manner, he had to do that. Yeah. And he did, and he was good at it, and it became a monoculture of only cattle. Okay. <clears throat> he was a great cattleman and uh, used all the tools, and I was raised in it, and I never wanted to do anything but run this farm my whole life. I never wanted to be a fireman or a baseball player or astronaut. I wanted to run the farm. Yeah. <clears throat> so I went to the University of Georgia and uh, majored in animal science, graduated in 1976. And I came back, and I further industrialized the farm. Yeah. I took it to another level. <clears throat> and... Probably because I was so over the top along those lines. Uh, I, and by that, I mean, if a little, little good, more will do more good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you wanted to be successful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And very linear, well, alpha male, Western, more is better. If, they, if, they, <laughs> if the label instruction said give them two CCs, I probably gave them four CCs. <laughs> yeah. If they yeah. said you can do it once a month, I probably did it twice a month. Yeah. <clears throat> so, not to my credit, that's just yeah, the way just... it was. But probably because of that, I became increasingly aware of those unintended consequences. You know, the unintended consequences were unnoticed consequences, but if you do it long enough, hard enough, you'll You'll, you'll start to see them. And what were those? What were some of those? And, and, and they were undesirable consequences. Yes. For, for instance, you know, the degradation of the land. Mm-hmm. You know, the, uh, the organic model in my soil had gotten down to half a percent. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it can, in the uh, coastal plains area, it can get up to six, seven percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's, the, that's the measure of life and productivity in your soil. And you destroy it by using chemical fertilizers and pesticides and tillage. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the, uh, the welfare of my animals. You know, when I was at my most industrial, I, I never thought I was being cruel to my animals. Uh, in fact, good animal welfare to me, I, I would have told you I am really good at animal welfare. Yeah. But my definition of animal welfare what would have been well, you keep them in a reasonable temperature range, and mm-hmm. you keep uh, abundant water and yeah. enough feed to keep them safe from harm, and yeah. that's good animal welfare. Yeah. And I didn't understand 
that they needed to be in an environment in which they could express instinctive behavior. Mm-hmm. We've forgotten that. Right. Uh, you know, the, the, the local community, you know, we, we pay people minimum wage and got by with as few people as we possibly could and, and let them work as few hours as we possibly could because yeah. that yeah. increased the profitability of the farm. Yeah. So uh, that was the way we rolled. And then we started noticing that these things are not, that, I mean, the, the, the consequences are not good. So mm-hmm. we started slowly, emphasize slowly, mm-hmm. moving away from and the uh, first thing I did, it was on the animal welfare side first. Uh, I was, uh, it never bothered me before, but at a point I started being bothered by the fact that I would load 100, 500 pound calves on a double decker truck. Mm-hmm. The ones on top urinating and defecating, the ones on the bottom. And they'd be on that truck for maybe 30 hours without food or water or rest going to Nebraska. Yeah. And I never thought about that as being problematic, but it was. There's no dignity there. One day day you're standing there sucking your mama that you've been with for seven, eight, nine months that that you've been on the earth. And then the next day you're on that truck. And you got on the truck, it was 80 degrees. You might get off and it might be 30 degrees. Yeah. So, yeah. And then you know, started slowly making those changes. Then the, the land was the next part that became apparent to me. And then the, the rural uh, community situation became apparent mm-hmm. to me. And I hope I don't notice anything else. I mean, I'm too old. <laughs> <laughs> We're done. You're just going to stay at those. That's, yeah. that's enough. So, so we're So our audience, majority of them are women. Majority of them are our age, you know. 30s, 40s. Um, Grocery shopper, dinner makers. Yes, most of them. Also, I I think that most of them desire to be good stewards and do the right thing in quotation marks, but don't don't know how to make the right choices. Um, They're sitting, you know, at the grocery store or Costco or whatever, and they're trying to make the right choices um, for their family, but they don't know what the right choices are. So I think why, what is your um, sales pitch for grass-fed beef or uh, or free-range chicken or whatever it is? Good, um, good. That's, that's, that's a fair question. So yeah. uh, you know, those people you just described, yeah. uh, I'm, say, I'm 63, so I'm going to say young, urban yes. females that, yes. that make dinner every night, mm-hmm. several nights a week. But th- those people, that demographic has no idea how powerful they are. Yeah. And I'm going to say that uh, because I've talked to enough of you all to know that, <laughs> that you know, that, that, you know, uh, humane treatment of animals is important to you. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, s- sustainable or regenerative farming. We used to talk about sustainable. That's really not enough. It's regenerative. Yeah. That's what we should be talking about. Yeah. Is important to you. Yes. And, and, you know, being kind, rebuilding local poverty, yes. impoverished places is important. Yes. And to make your contribution to that, currently you send $28 to the, to the Humane Society every month. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you want them kittens to you know, be <laughs> spayed and fed and yeah. doing that. But that's really a drop in the bucket. Yeah. 
and you got a Prius and a curly light bulb and you're recycling <laughs> the coffee grounds Yeah, because mm-hmm. you're trying to save the earth and yeah. that's nice but it's really a very small drop in the bucket Yeah, and you drop a dime in the man's cup standing on the corner yeah. or, or donate to the uh, we food shelter, shelter or whatever or yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and and that's fine it's, it's pretty small yeah if you took your food dog and spend it for uh, food that comes from a production system yeah. that that is regenerating the earth and treating the animals well and rebuilding the local community. You would have so much more impact mm. than you'd have with your twenty eight dollars to the pet shelter and your Prius and your <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, donation to the. Shelter, yeah, you know, Wendell Berry, you know, Wendell Berry, yes, I love Wendell Berry. Wendell Berry says that the consumer votes with his food dollar for how they want the world to be, yeah, yeah, and it's incredible. I I can't, I can't pull these figures off the top of my head, but the, the percentage of the food dollar that you spend at Publix or Kroger or Whole Whole Foods, yeah. Or that you uh, spend when you go to a restaurant, upscale yep. restaurant, the percentage of that dollar that goes to the farm is obscenely low. Yeah. <clears throat> and probably, it's almost certainly, it's unless you're selective, it's going to an industrial farm that's not doing the right things for the animals and the environment mm-hmm. in the rural county. Yeah. If you spent that money with, on, uh, with a farmer who is doing the right things, yeah. then that farmer would have 100 cents of that dollar. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we'd be so much further down the road towards achieving your personal goals yeah. with animals and the environment. And yeah. I think that's a good point because I think a lot of times like, for face value, like people that I know, they're like, well, you know, the grass-fed or the organic or the free-range, that's a little bit more per pound, even even though it's gotten better. It used to be that, that you know, there was much more discrepancy, but it's gotten where you can get um, more um, economically um, viable options for that. But if you are grocery shopping and buying your food, but you're also giving your money to all of these other areas, I like the idea of thinking, well, you could spend just a little bit more buying the grass-fed beef or buying the pasture-raised pigs or whatever pork or whatever if you spend your money on that actually more of your dollars will go to what you said to to doing the things that you know we feel called to do and you know helping the local economy all of those things so i think that's an important point and i think the impact is great i yeah. think that the yeah. number of animals you touch the yeah. number of the the tons of greenhouse gases that you sequester in the mm-hmm. soil mm-hmm. The, the number of people that are whose lives are made better in rural America is uh, so much more than if you donate it to a nonprofit. Yeah, right. How much of it actually gets where you want it to go? Yeah, yeah. Depending on the nonprofit, it oftentimes it's not a lot. Well, and I think that's important too. I think a lot of people, um, at least that I know, they think about giving their money when we're talking about impoverished communities, not talking about farming anymore, but talking about impoverished communities, we think, oh, we need to give money to Africa. Are we not saying that we don't need to do those things, but like I, I think our mind thinks that we don't have impoverished communities like we do in our local community. Like we live in Atlanta, and I feel like sometimes in Atlanta we become so like 
um, naval focused on the problems of just Atlanta, or we become so like outwardly focused all the way to the other ends of the earth, we don't realize the impoverishment that's in the rest of the state of Georgia and the rest of the South because of the um, industrialization and the impoverishment of the rural communities. So I think it's huge to uh, uh, as a reminder about what a difference. I mean, what are other some other? Di- what have you seen um, that you have done for the, that your farm has done for the community that you're outside of providing jobs? Uh, well, certainly providing jobs is the, is the biggest portion of it. <clears throat> We're about to build a daycare center. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we serve 21 meals a week uh, through our restaurant here on the farm, and employees and their families eat for half price. Yeah. Employees get a 20% discount. We have a general store. They get yeah. 20% discount off of it. Uh, we, we share the insurance cost. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't do that. I, you know, our lady in the office does that. But well, of course. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, we've been able to, because of things, the way we work by employees, we've been able to uh, bring people here from all over country mm-hmm. and uh, matter of fact uh, most of our management people here are from other places in the country mm-hmm. yeah i i just i think that that's an, that was just important at least that's important for me to hear because i i think oh i'm i'm buying grass-fed beef because it's better for the animals or even that it's just better for my family like it's just better for my family but we don't realize how i i didn't realize how far-reaching that dollar goes yeah, I'll take another bite out of that apple. So uh, we've got 155 employees mm-hmm. in a town with 98 people. Yes. Uh, our farm is the largest private employer in Clay County, Georgia. And Clay County has the highest unemployment rate in the 159 Georgia counties. Yeah. So it's, uh, that, that, that might be a little better approach to answer your question. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, and I think we a lot of times we separate philanthropic efforts from our day to day lives. So we think yeah. like, well, I need to go, you know, see where I'm going to put my tithing or whatever. But really, it should all be more integrated. So yeah. we don't have to necessarily write our checks to the Humane Society, as you said. Always, that's a good thing to do. But being more mindful of the things we have to buy every day, yeah, and seeing the impact of those everyday purchases really does add up. Yeah, yeah, and, and I stay out of you know what. The 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 attributes that I tout from either for the products that we produce here has got to do with animal welfare, regenerative farm practices, and the local rural economy. Yeah. Uh, other people will talk about uh, food safety and nutrient density. Yeah. And nutrition and uh, maybe safety. So, yeah. I don't. I don't get into those things because I'm a farmer, not yeah. a dietitian, <laughs> not a nutritionist. Yes. Uh, you know, you're a chef. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes flavor comes up in the discussion. Sometimes. Lots of times. Yeah. So you know, there, there. I mean, it's, I don't want. I don't want to be a charity case. I don't want anybody buying my products because they feel sorry for us. Yeah. They need to buy it because they uh, think it's better for them. For them. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. it is. I mean, studies have shown just the omega threes. I mean, just think off the top of my head that you get out of grass fed beef that you don't get out of yeah 
like grain-fed or conventionally raised beef. This is where we're going to take a little break in our episode with Will. We had so much content from him, we decided to break it into two episodes. So if you want to hear more from Will and everything that he has to share, he was such a wealth of knowledge about the subject. We pray you'll come back next week and listen to the rest of the episode. And until then, we just pray that God will continue to um, show you and us what it means to be better stewards of the earth that he created and everything that he's given us. And until then, we hope you have a great week.